Welcome to Trial by Wine. We take a closer look at crimes that highlight how fascinating humans can be. Schmitty, Swanee and Clarky visit crimes and run them through their jury of three, debating both sides of the case to agree an appropriate, if totally fictitious, sentence. Please be advised, Trial by Wine may include explicit or disturbing content and will include drunken rambling. Listener discretion is advised. All right. Well, it has been some time, hasn't it? How are we? Hello, strangers. Yes, hi. It has <laughs> been an age. It has. We're just working out. It's about six weeks in that, since our last recording because Carla and yeah. I both had some surgery and we just haven't been able to, well, I haven't been able to keep my eyes open for about five weeks. My boobs are looking spectacular. <laughs> 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 Mine was actually my nose, so it's not quite as sexy, is it, really? Is it working? Uh, <laughs> early, too early uh, to call? Early days, early yeah, days. Okay. I can smell, though, so that's a nice, oh. that's, that's quite nice. I haven't oh, been able to smell for, yes. I'm guessing, six, seven years, so. That um, is good. That's something. Yeah, yeah it's, it's going to take a while. As you say, we're sort of, what, six weeks, and I think mine was so bad um, that it's going to take a little bit longer. Probably took me 30 years to get it this bad, so it might take a couple of extra weeks to really clear it out. You know, you talked about how you had to go back in and they were cleaning it out and it was really gross. Around <laughs> the same time, <laughs> yeah, around the same time, I saw something on TV which was one of these, I think it was called Things That Are Stuck in Me or something. It was just disgusting. It had people who had oh, arrows oh. in them and giant splinters. But one of them had this really significantly deviated septum and they yes. went up and they pulled it all out. And it, the amount of stuff that came out was Ooh. extraordinary. And it was around the same time as you saying they've cleaned me out. And we're like, oh, I have a feeling I know what that looked like. Gross. <laughs> Luckily, I couldn't see it because my eyes don't oh. just feel it. But, I mean, it, it was they literally put a vacuum cleaner up into oh, my nice. sinuses. Oh. And I was, I'm actually due to have it done again tomorrow. Yeah. So oh, that's fantastic. But I, it, the thought of that after the surgery felt wonderful because I was like, Clearing it if out. If you've ever yeah, had a, yeah. you know, we've all had a blocked nose or sinus at some point, yeah. the idea of having that taken out was like, oh, my God, I can't wait. But <laughs> the reality was, oh, God, oh, no. I actually thought through what that might feel like post-surgery and it being so sensitive up there. And I, oh. I'd say, because I obviously I couldn't feel the surgery and I had a great recovery, um, it hurt more because I was yeah. actually sitting there with my shoulders up around my ears going, oh, yeah. my God, oh, my God, oh my God, get it out kind of thing. <laughs> so... And they can flush. Put um deadener in it, whatever you want to call it. Oh yeah, can't numb it. Can't can't numb it out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh excruciating. Yeah, that's yeah, so in some ways I think my hip surgery's been actually a little bit less uh, disturbing than Carla's uh, nose stuff. Because for me the drugs are amazing. And so, you know, I haven't really (laughs) felt (laughs) I haven't felt a lot, but and you know, sealing up nicely and all that. So no, it's all good. Yeah. That's wonderful. All right. So, yes, it has been a while and I I suppose we can talk about our news, but I have some news um, which is leading me to the only bubbly I have in the house, though, is a bottle of uh, sparkling Shiraz. So I'm going to – that's what I will be drinking today. And I'm just going to prepare to pop this as a little toast because my news is Tony and I have bought a house. (gasps) (gasps) Really? Yes. Awesome. Wow. Oh my god, that is brilliant news! <laughs> and you know how hard it was for me to not just tell you both, but all of you. But I was like, oh, I'll just wait. I'll do it. You know, I'll give them the big shock. And then we kept putting episodes off. I'm like, oh, 
Am I ever going to oh, get Dalia, to sitting on that news? Oh, oh it wasn't too bad. We but we, we we bought it last week. It's in Sunbury. In answer to your question, Clarky. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, it's a four-bedroom house on the Riddles Creek. I'm going to Google Maps. Yeah. Yeah. Is that on Jackson's Hill end? Oh, I don't really know mom? Sunbury that well. Is she in Sunbury? Yeah, mum's in Sunbury. Deanne's in Sunbury yeah. now. Oh, I've got so many friends in Sunbury. Why didn't I move years ago? <laughs> so if you come down from Goonawarra through that roundabout, yep, go yep. across Jackson's Creek, the bridge there. Straight up it's the from the second Goon. street. Yep, right, straight okay. off. Second street on your left, go up there. Deanne's on the right and mum's up the top of the end. Yeah, they'll be like five minutes from me because you just keep going from Goona, as they call yep. it in Sunbury apparently, you just keep going straight <laughs> up the hill towards yep. Riddles Creek and it's just it's before Sunbury ends um, on the Riddles Creek end, so not far at all. Right, yeah. So there you go. That's our news. So I'll just that is exciting. It looks like it's a quick run down, well, not quick run, but a direct run down to the airport too. It yeah. is, which is useful for Tony because he does a lot of work interstate. That is well. really so, good. Yeah. So cheers. Good job. Cheers. cheers. Congratulations. Cheers to Tony and their new abode. Now I see you boys have both got cokes as well, so I'm I'm judging. Yeah. Feel a little you're rough. Take it easy. <laughs> yes, we're keeping ourselves nice today. Yeah. <laughs> good plan. Good plan. And Swanee, you're on uh, the. I'll just tell you all because it's early for me, and I actually yeah. drank alcohol for the first time. Well, I've worked out since we got back from Europe, so it's a, I don't know, 10 weeks or whatever yeah. it is, maybe nine weeks. I drank last night for the first time and mm. it was fine. That's why I look <laughs> I look dreadful because I, I ended up taking a little bit of a tabby to get to sleep when I got home and I feel a bit yep. sort of wonky, woozy. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay, so who are, I suppose we should introduce ourselves just in case someone's just discovered us. I'm Schmitty. I'm Swanee. And I'm Clarky. And, and together, together we are... We are Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, so I am going to tell a little story for us today. I'll just give you a bit of background. So as you know, recovering from hip surgery, I I haven't been allowed to wait there. So I've spent a lot of time in bed and I've watched a lot of TV and, you know, not done much else. And I was watching a lot of trash because I uh, I was falling asleep a lot. I thought I'll watch things. It doesn't matter if I you know, fall asleep in. So I have watched about four seasons of Below Deck. And if you haven't watched that, that is an amazing collection of what not to do in people management. It's it's an industry that hasn't caught up with the rest of the world. It's quite fascinating. But also I've got this other one that I'm kind of weirdly interested in, which is called Naked and Afraid. And that is a survivalist show where they drop two people or a number of people literally naked, fully naked, into a very hostile remote environment like Colombian or the Amazon or Outback Australia or Africa, so all these different places, and they are allowed to have a couple of survival bits and pieces. Usually they'll have a fire starter and a knife and maybe a mosquito net and a pot, but they only are allowed to have two of any of those things, right? So it's very, very limited. And I honestly at this point in time am thinking I've got these wonderful punishment ideas from Naked and Afraid and from below deck because you wouldn't want to be a chief stew on a mega yacht when you see the way that these people behave and you really wouldn't want to be dropped into one of these places with no clothes on. Anyway, so keep that in mind because I think they're good punishments. I think trial by wine world can do with a further extension. Anyway, (laughs) along the way, Tony Tony said, oh, let's watch this show. We found we like a lot of, strangely, we like watching crime stuff and yeah. he said oh I've got one here that you might be interested in um and it was called the ITV series called A Confession 
and it was a dramatization of the case that I'm about to talk about. And normally he's anti-binging, like he does, like we, he likes to eke out episodes. But on this, we just watched it. I think it was five parts or something, or six parts. We just watched it, you know, cover to cover, basically beginning to end. And it was gripping. And Swanee, part of the reason it was gripping is if you could <laughs> cast your mind back to our halcyon yes. days in Froome in Somerset. Yeah. Yep. And I was there from about 2002 to 2009 in Froome, that is. And Swanee oh. would come out, yeah, and visit from the big smoke of London. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, not always, we'd often sit in my back garden if it was sunny and we'd eat meat treats and drink. But if we, if <laughs> and we, smoke. and smoke, but if we felt like it, we would go into Bath for a night on the town, on the tiles. Indeed, yeah. Yep. And Bath's about half an hour drive from Froome. I don't know if I ever made you to go to the Froome nightclub, but I only went there once. It was so bad. I don't think I so. I can't remember it. What was it God. called? Can you remember? No. Nah. Uh, it was, it was upstairs somewhere one. and it was so bad. that the car. You know how they talk about sticky carpets? Yeah. These, oh. these were so sticky they were basically, um, what's the sand, you know, that sucks you in and you can't get out? Quicksand. Quicksand. <laughs> sticky carpets like quicksand. Oh. It was so gross. Anyway, so they did that once. So we didn't we, we didn't have a local is what I'm trying to say. So we would go into Bath and have our big nights out there. And so it wasn't weird for us to do these drives. And usually what would happen is uh, we'd go into town on with a cab and we'd catch a cab back and we'd share, you know, the cab rides. And I used to do that a lot with other friends as well. And we'd usually, like in Trowbridge, that all these towns are sort of around each other about 20 minutes half an hour drives so you, what you do is you a bit like you boys because you're in the middle of nowhere you'd organize to stay at someone's house you might go out but then you'd all come back together and so that that was kind of you know our lifestyle I guess that would work yeah to, yeah to yeah and yeah. you probably also remember the nightclub of choice that I had which was Cadillacs which was that I referred to as I one of your birthdays and I also yeah, remember yeah, you yeah. doing crazy in love there <laughs> I'm sure we did a lot of Beyonce uh, ripoffs. It was the period. <laughs> she was very big at the time. Um, but yeah, and Cla- Claire and I used to go out there a lot too and have our Bacardi yeah. and Diet Cokes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it was just down the road from Schwab's, which was this fantastic burger place that was like mind blowingly good. I do remember that too, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a good time for us when we were young, free, and single, uh, spending mm-hmm. the pounds that we were earning. So why mm-hmm. that's all relevant is the story I'm about to tell pretty much was happening at the exact same time as we were there, so a lot of this. And although it's set in in Swindon, that's only 28 miles away from Bath. So, And I went out in Swindon a few times too. It was a bit further from the Froome side, but when we were in Trowbridge or Chippenham, it was no problem to go to Swindon, right? So this is very much the locale of where I was living, where all my friends were living. So it felt like a real backyard crime. Did you perhaps work in Swindon? I think it could have happened to us. No, I no, didn't work in Swindon, no. but some of my friends who worked at uh, Trowbridge did live in Swindon as well. Right, okay, because I remember it being our, connected. Well, our mutual friend has is running a business of service departments out of Swindon at the moment. Oh, there so you go, okay. okay. That, that also might be part of the way you're thinking of it, yeah. Maybe it is, yeah. Yeah, so I had lots of great nights and for me it just felt like this, this could have happened to any of us is really you know why it really stuck with me and I remember it this story I remember it when it happened so it was after I'd come back to from Australia this happened in 2011 but I was still very connected I felt I loved living out there and it feels like my second home I've still got the house there so I used to read um, when I had more time the local uh, online paper and this story came out at the time and it was just 
I don't know, it was, I, I was sort of a bit hooked on it. But I don't remember much about the aftermath of it because I kind of knew they'd caught the person and then I kind of didn't know else what happened. So my sources for this are Wiki, of course, Wikipedia, ITV is a confession, which is a dramatisation and I'm always nervous about relying on them because mm-hmm. sometimes they fictionalise some elements. Um, the dailymail.com, bbc.com, the sun.uk, the guardian.co.uk, and a strange website called chloewells.medium.com. But she had done a oh. bit of a write up on it. Yeah. So on the night of March 19, 2011, Sean O'Callaghan was at the local nightclub Suju in Swindon with her workmates. So she was really well liked, really bubbly. She was 22. She worked at the local office as an administrator. You know, loads of friends, really lovely young girl. And we're a bit older than her, but, you know, it just felt like she could have been one of our mates or we could have crossed paths. Yeah. Uh, she'd been having this great time at the nightclub, but at 2.52, because she was a stayer, good honour, she decided to go home. And her flat that she was living at the time was just 800 metres down the road with her boyfriend. Her boyfriend was in the flat, Kevin Reap. But she set off alone. I think a couple of friends sort of said to her, do you want to, uh, do you want to walk? Do you want to be walked there? She's like, no, I'm fine. And her boyfriend actually apparently had often encouraged her not to walk alone at night and to get into a cab. But it was only 800 metres, you know, 10, 15 minute walk. Would have felt. I mean, I always felt very safe in the southwest, so I can imagine that she just would have thought, it was "No big deal, just another night out." Unfortunately, it was the last time that Sean was seen alive. Her boyfriend Kevin sent her a text at three twenty-four a.m., but he got no response from her. And the, and by nine forty-five in the morning, Kevin, having called all the friends and family, no one knew where she was. So, and it was totally out of character. So he made a report, a missing person report, to the police pretty much straight away. And the police acted on it very quickly. They, there was none of this kind of, no, you've got to wait 72 hours. You know, they were straight away investigating where Sean could be. Sean was seen on the CCTV footage leaving the nightclub and walking down the road in the direction of her home. She was a bit wobbly because she'd been having some drinks with her mates and the CCTV been was there. able... Yeah, exactly. You know, this is what I mean. It's just like it could be any one of us. The CCTV footage was able to capture the headlights of a car that was parked, so facing the camera, uh, around 100 metres from the club. The car was there, it turns its headlights on and that blinds the camera for a bit. So we see Sean walking up the road in the direction of the car. The headlights come on, so we can't see her. That obscures her because of the camera flare. And then about a minute later, I think it was, the car drives off and so the, the lights are no longer in the camera and Sean's gone. So the police pretty much immediately thought she's gotten that car. And as they slowed down the footage and very carefully, they couldn't make out the details, but they did see a decal on the side of the car, which would have indicated it was a taxi. So they were like, right, she's gone in a cab. So the next day on the March 20th, the police made a public appeal for information concerning Sean. And it was around the same time probably I saw the storyline. Like, you know, it was it was big news. They were able to determine the last location of her phone because, remember, the boyfriend sent an SMS. And they began searching Savanake Forest in Wiltshire, which is 12 miles away from Swindon near Marlborough. So quite a long, lot further than 800 metres to her house. And that's, I think they they identified that, you know how they ping towers and that, so they can determine and triangulate and all that sort of stuff. And they were pretty much able to work out that she'd been driven directly there because of the time difference between the text message that was sent that was received in Savanake Forest and when she disappeared. So there's a half an hour between that text message and the CCTV footage and it's half an hour drive effectively. So they were like, right, she's gone straight there. So on Monday the 21st, two days later, Kevin made a tearful plea again to the public 
and around 400 people volunteered to search for Shan. And so they joined the police and they did this huge search of Savonate Forest. And on the same day, some very nice anonymous caller pledged a £20,000 reward for information for Shan. So scouring any CCTV footage or patrol car footage, everything that they can find for uh, for that window of time, the police were able to identify a car which was a taxi, matching the one that drove away from the club. I think it was a green Toyota Avensis. And they identified the registration plates for the car. And so they were pretty quickly able to identify that that was owned by a man called Christopher Halliwell, who was a cab driver. And so this pretty much puts Halliwell under suspicion immediately. And so they put him under surveillance because they don't have any hard evidence. You know, they, they can't actually identify the car exactly. They don't have the plates from out front of the nightclub. They've just got another set of footage around the same time. So, And, you know, Carla, back to my point about your experience this place, not much is going on at 3.52 a.m. in Swindon no. or Froome or, you know, there's it gets very quiet. There's a quiet, mm. whilst I think Swindon is a city, it's still a pretty quiet place. So they worked out that they think this guy's the guy, but they have no evidence, so they just have to follow him because they're, they, they're really suspecting it. Now, this is the only bit of levity in this story, uh, which which I did enjoy, so I'm going to tell you about it. In the in the show A Confession, the police, before they'd picked up on the CCTV footage of, and got the number plate of the car, were, went to Savonake Forest and they were basically looking at who's around there because, like, why would you be driving out to there? And they found these people who live on the cusp of or right next to the forest and there was this middle-aged man who was living with his mother and you know we all know classic red flag right so we all think oh yep you know we bit of a weirdo living with his mum, you yeah. know, single, all that sort of stuff. And they briefly thought that they might be onto it. He might have something to do with it. So they went out and they started searching his place. And the way they show it in the show is there's this poor man and he's basically burst into, you know, he's sweating because what they found out was that he had actually travelled 40 miles or something. He'd gone out around the same time to a local service station to get some snacks Um, and then he'd come back like three o'clock in the morning right so and his mother's like did you go out where'd you go you know he's got a real naggy mother in the background and you're like and and the policeman's like oh I think we've found that there's something here and he's really really nervous and they and she goes he's always up in his room you know what have you been doing you're always up in your room so they go up into the bedroom (laughs) and you know how in the UK you've got lots of lofts and there's always a loft ladder and you can get up into the hatch they realize there's a loft up there and they're like oh here we go so the, the police Policeman opens says, I want to look up there. They open it up, they pull it down, and you're thinking, what are we going to find? And by now the man's like sweating and looking really, really anxious, and the policeman goes up the loft ladder and he looks up and there's a couple of pet rats in a cage and the, and the guy just looks at him and goes, please don't say anything to mum. I told her I got rid of them. Don't tell her they're there. It's so, it's so totally innocent, so innocent. <laughs> Poor guy, but and I did enjoy that, but it, that was pretty much the only amusing moment in this whole series. <laughs> All right, so going back to Halliwell, because that man was co- totally innocent. He just went out to get snacks and he happens to have some rats, so let's just leave him alone. So Halliwell was a local taxi driver. <laughs> he lived locally in Swindon with his girlfriend and her two, two children, and he also had three children of his own from a previous marriage. Uh, his neighbours all described him as a really good guy. He was perfectly normal. Some even said that they would go out of their way to, you know, ask for him when they called the taxi company because they really trusted him and thought he was, you know, A1 guy. Is this minicabs that we used to call them? I have a feeling it was a minicab. Yeah, it wasn't black cab, so I, I'd no, say you would call it a I've forgotten cab. all about that. I've been I was talking about it not so long ago mm. and I was like, oh, gosh, I remember when we used to 
and they were all associated with like little train stations, or whatever else. It's much that cheaper. kind of thing. Mini yeah. cabs, yeah, yeah. I remember that. It's, yeah. it's like that little shitty little office with one person on yes. the radio. Yes, and you'd be sure. calling them back in the day. It was before we used our phones like that. Remember yeah. that. To the point where it, when in the in the days when we'd go out in Trowbridge, we'd sometimes walk to the minicab office to get yes. a cab, you know, like. Yeah, 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 I remember. It was just all very ordinary. So everyone, you know, thought he was all right. He was obviously a great guy. And so even he had two fine Shan posters in his taxi. He'd put them up on like everyone was doing their bit to try and find Shan. And I think probably also trying to put people off the scent, you know, as to if he, if he was a bad guy, why would he do that? Sounds right. Mm-hmm. On March 23rd, whilst under surveillance, the police were following him around, driving around the countryside. But at some point in that drive, they, he actually is able to lose them. So he he's a little bit ahead of them because they're surveilling him. He turns up one lane and they keep going because they've just lost vision for that little bit. But in the time that he uh, lost them, he pulled over and he set fire to a whole series of items. And by the time the police got to that and recovered it, it, it was not very much left. Most of it had been damaged. But they were pretty sure it was some clothing. And possibly one of the ash things looked very much like a burned flower and Sean's handbag had had this big fake flower on it. So they were like, okay, you know, so they get that. So he was also observed whilst under surveillance cleaning the car, disposing of car seat covers and the floor mats from the car. He drove around and went to an industrial wheelie bin and chucked them in there. And, of course, he, I don't, he didn't realise he was being followed, so the police <laughs> waited and picked him up and took him. So at this point they actually now have some forensic evidence. But it takes a while, as you know, even though the, in the TV shows it seems to be quick, but sending this stuff off to get tested in a lab takes a few days. So they're still watching him because they don't have anything definitive to say he's our man. What time are we t- t- no, sorry, time three days. Okay, so oh, she went missing. On. Sorry, she went missing on the very early morning of the 19th of March. Got and it. This is March 23. So this is four days, days later. Okay, got it. Now, also, the other reason they didn't swoop on him is that they thought Sean could be alive. So uh-huh. they, they hadn't assumed that she was dead. They thought, well, maybe he's got her somewhere. And so we'll watch him. So they're following around because, you know, he might go and visit her. And so they're, yes. they're basically keeping an eye on him. But the thing that became a bit of a clincher in this was that they observed him buying, I think it was four packets of paracetamol. And no, he didn't just have a bad headache. That's one enough. headache. Oh. Yeah, yeah. That's enough to actually uh, kill a person if you took them all yeah. in one hit. And so they were concerned that he might have been suicidal. They still think Sean could be alive, and if he kills himself, then there's no way of actually being able to track her down. So they, at this point, they arrest him. At, of course, Carla, you'd like it, it's classy, in the Asda car park. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you just spend a spa. Well, yeah, it's not far <laughs> So this is, though, where the story takes a bit of a turn. So, And this is a lot to do with police procedure now. So initially the police, having picked him up and said, you know, we're arresting you under the um, uh, suspicion, blah, 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 and cautioning him, they, they, took, they were on their way to Gable Cross Police Station, which is the Swindon Police Station, but the senior investigating officer, who's Detective Superintendent Stephen Fulcher, actually asked them to divert that drive and to take him somewhere else because he, and this is quite not normal, he wanted to go and speak to him because he thought he might be able to get something out of him to find out where Sean was. So it's not normal. This is not what you're supposed to do. Normally on arrest, the suspect is cautioned and taken to the police station where he has access to a lawyer before being interviewed by the police. So, of course, the risk here is all about what is going to be admissible if you're going to try and prosecute someone. Now, Fulcher did this 
believing that he was covered by a section, and I, I can't remember, it's 22 or something, of police, It's they refer to it all the time as PACE, I don't know what it stands for, but it's the Police Act basically, which says, mm-hmm. uh, which d- details what the police are and are not allowed to do. And, and in that Act, there is something about you can do this sort of special provision if you believe that you are going to be saving life, right? So if you think it's a, a I think, um, extraordinary interview or something like that. Yeah. And that that is a really important point because Stephen Filcher is a 28-year veteran of the force. He has an exemplary re- record. He's a top-notch investigator. He knew what he was doing going in. I knew what yeah. he was doing, but he believed at this point that he was covered by this section, yeah. an allowance of the act. Got it. So what he does then is he, and one of his colleagues even says, oh, are you sure? He's like, yeah, yeah, you know, section blah, 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 it's fine. And he was thinking, you know, if he goes, if we, if we get this guy and he says it, he says if we let him go into the police station, he'll get a lawyer, he'll be advised no comment and we will never find Sharp. And he'll shut down, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly, right? So they drive Halliwell to Barbary Castle. And um, it, it sounds very grand, but it's actually. A is, it li- I was gonna say, is it literally a castle? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's one of those um, Iron Age hill forts that when you go, you hear it and you think, oh, as a tourist, this sounds great. And you get there yeah. and it's just basically some mounds of dirt. And they're like, this is really, really old and amazing. But they take mm. him there because because of where the phone was and his where, where he's been driving around. Uh, Fulcher thinks it's close to where he might be holding Sean. Now, in this conversation that he has with Fulcher, Halliwell does several times say, I want a lawyer. And Fulcher says, yeah, yeah, well, look, we'll get to that. I just, you know, I just think you should tell us where Sean is because yeah. the sooner you tell us where Sean is and if you cooperate with us, you know, this, this is going to be better for everyone. Uh, he doesn't say, no, you can't have a solicitor or a lawyer. He just says, yeah, we'll, we'll get to it, right? So, And all of this is written down. They have a third police officer standing there writing it all down, note-taking. So this was all captured. And that is, again, part of the process. So, again, it's not like Stephen Fulcher is putting him under any specific duress. Uh, they end up standing at this beauty spot and chatting and they're smoking darts and he's trying to build a rapport with the guy. And so they're having this chat and... After quite some time, the other thing Fulcher does say to him is um, he makes reference to another case where a person that the police had as a person of interest in a case was really vilified by the press and, the you know, the press went, they've got their man, it's him, and he turned out to be innocent and it was incredibly traumatic for the family of that man because, you know, he was hounded. So yeah. Fulcher does, I can't remember the name, it's a Christopher someone or other, and he, he says, Fulcher says, look, you don't want it to be like that. We want to protect your family. If you work with us, we can move your family out so the media won't get to them. So he's using all of this sort of stuff to say why Halliwell should um, cooperate with them and tell them where Sean is. And he does it, this, not to say that he's thinking 100% she's alive because that would be foolish and we know that 24, you know, we, mo- in most of these cases, unfortunately, the victim yeah. is dead within a very soon period from being abducted. But there is a chance she's alive. So he, that's what he's, he's, and he knows no one else is going to come and sort this out. It's up to him and his team to find out where she is. Yeah. So they do all that, they have some darts, and then Hallie Wissels says to him, you think I did it. And Fulcher says, I know you did it. And then Halliwell says, have you got a car? We'll go. So they get in the car, which includes the note taker and a driver, and they sort of think at this point that they're going to go back to the police station, but he actually says they they actually instead drive to the Uffington White Horse, which is a chalk hill carving in Oxfordshire. 
How many of those are there? <laughs> I, I was just going to say, Swanee, you may recall if you stick your head out of my bedroom window in Froome, yep. you can just see the Westbury Whitehorse. That's why I used to go past on the train, right, when I used to That's come right. out to see you. That's right. That's, That's right. I knew I'd be, I was getting there now. I'm really there. Yep, 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 yep. So it's not the Westbury Whitehorse. It's another one. Yeah. But there are a few. And you've got the Cern Man as well, which is a giant chalk carving um, in the hills of a man with a gigantic phallus. Uh, <laughs> everyone yeah. goes to laugh at it. Um, yeah, so you've got all these things. So that's what the area is like. It's a beautiful, beautiful part of the country. Mm, anyway, yes. as they drive along a country lane and almost, you know, like they're all very similar, these country lanes. They're all narrow, um, single-track kind of thing. He says, slow down a bit. It was dark. I pushed her down the bank, down there somewhere. So he's told them now that he's put Shan's body and he pretty much also tells uh, Fulcher that she's dead. So it's very sad. And so Fulcher has the police cut the lane off, you know, from traffic and gets the search teams in and they start looking for Sean because he's not 100% sure where he's left her. He just knows he's, they're approximately somewhere on this lane. She's down there. She's not buried. He's dumped the body. And in, I don't really talk about this later. So for your information, after he killed her, he buried her in a shallow grave somewhere in Savanac Forest or near it, and then he moved the body. I think a day or so later, he went back, dug her up, and then he moved her and, and dumped her in this um, in this other location. Possibly because I, I'm not 100% sure why, but just to to cover his tracks, I'm guessing. So unfortunately, she's we, we know from him that she's passed away. But instead of going back to the... Uh, so at this point what should have happened is he should have been uh, cautioned and taken back to the police station but instead of going back he says to the Fulcher you and I should have a chat and so Fulcher's like okay um and so they drive up to a track to that white horse just to kind of where they can walk up to the tail of the white horse because with all of these chalk drawings you can usually walk around them you know they're they're kind of nice parks and um the note takers tagging along and Halliwell on this walk says to him do you want another one? So, oh. yeah. So this Jesus. is extraordinary, right? So you, we've, we found the girl that we were looking for, but now he's talking about another victim. So he went on to say he could take them to the burial spot of another victim that he'd killed sometime between 2003 and 2005. So and this is 2011 that this is happening. Again, he should have been cautioned, taken to the police station, but they um, Fulcher allowed him to lead them to where the other burial spot was. I'm, I'm not a police officer and I realise they've got process they should follow, but I would have gone because, you know, we've got another victim. We're in the moment. Totally. Why would you, why would you not Absolutely. go? Absolutely. Because otherwise he'll get back and then he'll talk to a lawyer and then he'll never you'll, you'll say never know word, what, where that yeah. was and who that was and he'll say, oh, I don't know, I don't know what you're talking about yet. Yeah. But it's a no-no in police process. So, mm -hmm. And then Fulcher also said to him, are there any others? And Halliwell didn't say no. He said, isn't that enough? So they drove to Gloucestershire. So now we've been in Wiltshire, we've been in Oxfordshire, and we've been in Gloucestershire. And not far from the – sorry, we weren't far from the village of East Leach, and Halliwell then identifies a ploughed field, bit of farmland, in which the body of an earlier victim was buried. And he was able to mark out in steps from the fence, or the, the fence line, uh, where he'd buried her nine years earlier. Now, at this point, there is a discrepancy. He says she's buried five feet under, I think. And when the police dig her up, she's something like eight or 12 inches. She's much closer to the surface than he said. So the police also held some media conferences. They announced, they announced at this point we've got the suspect in the murder of Sean O'Callaghan and that we've also discovered the remains of another unknown victim. 
And because he doesn't know the name of it, well, if he knows the name of this girl, he doesn't say who it is, right? So they've found her, they've dug her up. It also would have been difficult to identify this girl because he had removed her head, hands and feet and they were never recovered. So the victim in the field. Jesus. Yeah. It's the rough, victim in the it? it is. The victim in the field was 20-year-old Becky Godden or Becky Godden Edwards. Her, her father's name's Godden, her mother remarried. Uh, and she was 20 years old at the time of her disappearance. And she was a resident of Swindon. And coincidentally, her family home was basically almost in the same street as uh, Sean's parents' home as well. Becky, as a teenager, had developed a drug addiction. And whilst her family were very supportive, you know, there was none of this cut you off, not having anything to do with you. She, you know, took up sex work to support the habit. She'd run away from home several times. The drug had a hold on her. And her mother last saw her in 2002. And her mother, Karen, says, she told me she loved me so much that she couldn't keep putting me through this hell meaning her drug addiction, if she'd said this in a press conference, and that she was leaving and wouldn't come back until she was clean. So her mother's position uh, from then until uh, 2011 is that Becky's alive somewhere Mm, and she does try to find her. She's constantly trying to see if anyone's heard from Becky or seen her. Tragically, on April 4th, 2011, which should have been Becky's 29th birthday, Detective Superintendent Stephen Fulcher knocked on the Edwards' door to tell her mother, Karen, that they'd found the remains of Becky. What had also happened earlier is that when the police had announced that they found these unidentified remains, Karen had actually called the police because she was she just had a feeling. She was like, I know it's her. I know it's her. And at the time they were like, no, 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 like there's 420 other people have rung. You know, you're, you're one of many people who think it's your daughter. Don't panic yeah. yet, you know. And the other problem was her ex-husband, some of their, her, his family had said they'd seen Becky up until 2009. So her mother did really do did believe she was still alive. And her mother didn't know that the new remains that they found dated back to 2003. But she had a gut feeling. She was like, this is Becky, I'm sure of it. And Becky had always said she'd come back. She had stayed in contact. She hadn't just dumped her family. So the fact that they'd never had contact since 2002, you know, wasn't, her mother was just, she'd like to believe that she was alive, you know. Yeah. Anyway, sadly, uh, she wasn't. Now, the only reason they were able to identify Becky was because of DNA on her file because she had been a sex worker and she'd been arrested prior and it's, uh, I think, from 2001 it became a, a kind of mandatory thing that if you were arrested and charged and it held up, your DNA was recorded in a, in a database. They they wouldn't have even been able to work out who it was otherwise. So, no, I was, gonna, I was wondering how yeah, that happened. Yeah, and I had to really dig for that, no pun intended. <laughs> that, that wasn't that. Because I was like, how did they know? She didn't have any dental records or anything like that. (laughs) And the mother was one of 400 and something people who thought it was their daughter. So how did they work it out? And and so that was interesting. So Halliwell was charged with the murders of Sean O'Callaghan and Becky Goodwin Edwards. But a court ruled that both the confessions to Sean and Becky's murders were inadmissible because Detective Superintendent Fulcher hadn't followed the correct procedure in cautioning Halliwell. Now, because they had forensic evidence that linked in the car seat covers with blood on them, there was I think there was blood in the car, like they were able to forensically link him to Sean's case. They were, were, based on that evidence, able to take that to trial. But they dropped effectively the case against him for Becky, even though he'd confessed to it and taken them to the body because they didn't have any other evidence to link him to it. Mm, or did they? 
In October 2012, Halliwell went on trial for the murder of Sean O'Callaghan only and he pled guilty and was sentenced to life with a minimum sentence of 25 years. And the fact that he pled guilty is quite important too because he doesn't get under any kind of cross-examination. So we don't really know all of the details of what happened to Sean. Because he doesn't really tell anyone. We know what happened but we don't know, know what happened, put it that way. And as Becky's case wasn't admitted, her father made a complaint about the handling of the investigation against Fulcher. And whilst Karen Edwards, the mother, was fully supportive of Fulcher and had said all along, you know, if he had done it differently, we wouldn't have found Becky at all. So, you know, I don't see him as having done anything wrong. Fulcher was suspended pending an inquiry in 2011. He could have been further investigating Halliwell. He could have been building up evidence that were beyond the confession for the Godden case but he was taken off it. The inquiry found him at fault for not following due process and also that he'd spoken to the media when advised not to, though there is absolutely no evidence that he was told not to by his senior officers and he has no recollection of being told that. He was quite shocked that that was one of the things he was pulled up for. He was removed from the case and in 2014, because everything takes forever, somewhere between 2011 and 2014, they gave him a first and final warning for gross misconduct and the only thing that stopped him being fired was the fact that he had a 28-year exemplary record. I still think it's bullshit, but whatever. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, and then he resigned from the Wiltshire Police because Mm. they basically stuck him in a room doing some bullshit job and didn't let him yeah. return as an SIO, which is, you know, when you, could you imagine you've got this huge career and you've you've gone up the ranks, you've done your time, you've done your work to be then put in some crap job somewhere else. It's just, it's devastating from a man, a career policeman. He also couldn't get another job in the UK because of the press around it. So he ended up, I think, going to somewhere like Libya, some terrible war-torn country anyway, working for a security firm to train police. Like he couldn't get a job. And when we go back to... Actually a mercenary. Yeah, but think about it, right? When we go back to that case, Praveen Varughese's case, and those mm. that chief of police got another chief of police's job five minutes later. Like, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Anyway, so it's different in the UK, obviously. As I said earlier, you know, part of the reason that the original charge against Halliwell for Becky's murder um, was suppressed was that other than the confession, they said they didn't have any other evidence linking him to a death. And I said, or did they? Because when they actually went to his house and searched his house and all the rest of it, there were some things that they did. Like they took, he had a, a shovel. And they took uh, samples off that shovel at the time that weren't tested for several years. Um, there was, a, I'll get into it, but there's a whole series of things that they just didn't do. So Karen Edwards, like lovely Varughese, wouldn't let Wiltshire Police off the hook on this one for failing to find justice for her daughter. And similarly, she campaigned tirelessly. She had petitions going. She stayed in the media to keep it current. You know, she even sought support from, I think, a local member of parliament who then took it up to Prime Minister at the time, who was David Cameron, to review the legislation that didn't allow Fulcher any flexibility in the arrest process. And that appeal was reviewed. It went, you know, from David Cameron down to a couple of other, you know, bureaucrats. And they just said, no, it's fine. We don't see any reason to change it. We think it's fine. So that was very disappointing for them. However, in 2015, the Wiltshire police advised that they had new evidence that would allow them to charge Halliwell for Becky Godden's murder. 
and a different judge supported the CPS and overturned the ruling that the confessions were inadmissible. Now, this is interesting because the first judge who said, no, you can't use any of that, it was her first criminal trial, I think. And the second more experienced uh, judge said, I can't believe that she did that. Mm. These are admissible. And it's one of those hinges. It's like, Steve Fulcher's lost his whole career and been, um, you know, warned and all the rest saying what you did was gross misconduct. And this other judge is going, no, it's not. It's admissible. It's fine. fine." Yes. Sliding doors moment. Isn't it awful? Yeah, yeah. As a result of that, though, the Halliwell was charged with the murder of Becky Godden in February 2015 and the case went to trial in 2016. Now, if you two, and I know you're going to say it's probably more likely to happen to me, but if you two were ever in a predicament where you'll find yourself in court, particularly for a charge as serious as murder, I would advise you to not choose to represent yourself. Oh, it God. never goes well. No. <laughs> Excellent advice. Yeah, but it does speak to the narcissism of people who yeah. commit crimes like this and then think that they're so yeah. smart that they can actually just represent themselves. And, of course, he's one of those, and he did attempt to represent himself in the case. The police were able to represent this new evidence, and for the the listeners I'm doing, you know, quotation marks with my fingers, namely forensic evidence of dirt found on the shovel in his uh, garage, which was seized as evidence in 2011, it, lo and behold, matched the very rare form of dirt from the field where Becky's body was found. So they, they would have had that if they tested it in 2011, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. But they also recovered a stash of items. Now, this was a little later, Halliwell dumped in a pond in the village of Ramsbury, which included one of Jean's boots and an item of clothing that was belonged to Becky. So again, they had evidence that linked him to Becky. Now, the terrifying thing about his stash was that there's 60 items in it. So yeah, just leave that there for you. And not all of them belonging to Sean or Becky. That's right, only two things. A witness statement identifying a taxi in the location of Ramsbury at the time of Sean's abduction and another statement from an RAC worker who attended Halliwell's broken-down taxi around six miles from Becky's burial site on the night she was last seen alive, and there is an an official RAC record of it, and a statement from Halliwell's GP that he showed up in January 2003 with a broken finger and scratches, which he said from a fight with a passenger. That was on the 3rd of January 2003 he went to the doctor. On the 2nd of January was the last time we see Becky mm-hmm. alive. So they had this, though. They didn't follow up on any of it. It wasn't new evidence. They knew about the leads. They knew about the dirt sample. They just didn't investigate it further. Now, I don't know whether it's because they were distracted by the fact that Detective Superintendent Fulcher was under review for his lack of um, doing a caution, or they just couldn't be bothered, or they didn't Mm. have enough money, because apparently there's a funding issue for Wiltshire Police as well. But the witness statements in the end were only taken in 2015. So, But they knew about it. It was all people had rung up and said, oh, I know this, at the time of Sean's investigation. Wow. Wow. So after destroying Fulcher's career, the Wiltshire Police then kindly asked him to return to the UK to give evidence at the trial in 2016. What? I know. When Halliwell... Our mate Halliwell finished cross-examining Fulcher. He shouted, it's been a pleasure to ruining your career, you corrupt bastard. I'll try it. I, I can't guarantee it, but hang on. Uh, <laughs> there we go. 
All right, me lover. It's been a pleasure yeah. ruining your career, you corrupt bastard. Oh, bastard's wrong. You corrupt bastard. Something like that. I, can't, I could never do it, even though I lived there. Um, <laughs> like the best I could do is, all right, me lover. All right, all right. Um, all right. By then, Halliwell had concocted a load of random nonsense to justify evidence against him. But thankfully, the judge, Sir John Griffiths Williams, was having none of it. Now, the following is taken from sentencing notes, which you can read yourself. They're available on judiciary.uk. This is from the judge. Your account of the circumstances in which she met her death bears all the hallmarks of a contrived explanation designed to avoid conviction in the hope that the minimum term you are presently serving will not be increased. But the account which you advance so glibly with little or no regard to the truth made no sense at all. You told Superintendent Fulcher that you had sex with an unnamed prostitute, strangled her before undressing her, you then left her body in bushes by the wall of Oxo Bottom Field, <laughs> love English nah. names, sorry, <laughs> and returned the following night to dig the grave and bury her. I am firmly of the view that that was only partially truthful. I have had the opportunity of observing you throughout the trial and listening to your evidence. I have no doubt that you are a self-centred and domineering individual who wants his own way. You are both calculating and devious. I want to take the opportunity of saying a few words to Mrs. Edwards and Mrs. Godden. Sorry. I want to take the opportunity of saying a few words to Mrs. Edwards and Mr. Godden. You have had to live. I'm sure that's meant to be Mr. and Mrs. Annie. No, but they're not together anymore. True. Sorry. I'll do it again then. <laughs> I'm sorry. So they're, they're, they're still her parents, I didn't right? write it. Yeah, I'd yeah. like, I've, I've taken it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, thank you for that, yeah. Carla. I want to take the opportunity right. of, because uh, I'm thinking about the other O'Callaghan family. That's yeah. why. Yeah, no, no, no. I think that's what it is. I want to take the opportunity of saying a few words to Mrs. Edwards and Mr. Godden. You have had to live with every parent's nightmare of a missing child and then the discovery that she had been dead for some years, buried naked in a field. You have been deprived of the opportunity we all want to say farewell to our closest and dearest. And then you have had to live through the criminal processes as Christopher Halliwell has brought eventually to justice. There must have been moments when you wondered whether the case would ever be completed. If I may say so, you have behaved throughout with quiet dignity and courtesy. I hope you will feel that justice has been done and that while that cannot bring Becky back, that may at least bring you some solace. I will include Mr. and Mrs. Callahan because this trial must have been an ordeal for them as they have had to relive the evidence of how Sean died. They too have behaved with dignity and courtesy. I pay tribute to you all. Ooh. Job. So he found him guilty and he sentenced him to life, basically, no parole. So he's got two counts of life and he's never coming out. So that's, that's where we end up Good. with Halliwell and he was a disgusting individual. He actually also said in that whole interview with Fulcher, he said, I know you're not a psychiatrist, but, you know, can I can I be helped? You know, I'm a sick fucker. People don't kill people. He knew he was a, he was a bad person. You know, like He said all of this in that early stuff. I, I left some of this out because I didn't want to be too distracting, but he was a bad, bad man. So, look, we can go in multiple directions now in discussing the aspects of the case and we could unpack why the police didn't investigate the additional evidence in the Godden case, you know, whether they didn't care because she was a sex worker and a drug user and therefore for some reason less important 
than Shan, you know, Shan the good girl, or did they just didn't have enough resources or money or were they distracted by the stuff that was happening with the senior detective? Or we could get hooked on the process and the moral and legal implications of Fulcher's actions and whether or not he should or shouldn't have done what he did and whether it was fair or right or flexible enough. You know, it's a common sense question about whether or not that should have been allowed to be um, upheld in the first place. But what I do want to bring your attention back to and I do want to spend a little time on before we go there, is I personally, and this is, I'm alleging this, I have no evidence of it, but I don't believe that he's only killed two people. And it leads me back to where I started, which was in a nightclub in Bath. So, Swanee, you may not recall it, but back in those days when we went to Cadillacs, my eye, I couldn't help it, was always drawn to um, an appeal for more information poster stuck at the on the wall behind the cashier at Cadillacs and it oh was God. pleading for information regarding the disappearance of Melanie Hall. Melanie was a 25-year-old NHS worker who went missing on a night out last front sorry last seen in front of Cadillacs in 1996. So I started going there and I think it was 2001, right? And so it was only 5 years after Melanie had gone missing. But she caught my eye every time because she had same short blonde hair as me and she just there was just something about it. You remember this from that period. Absolutely. Every time I went to Cadillacs, I looked at that that picture and I thought, I wow. wonder what happened to that girl oh, every gosh. single time. It stuck in my mind. And it connects back to why this case stuck in my mind because I immediately, I don't know why, thought, I wonder if he killed Melanie Hall. Oh, God. Right? This taxi driver. Because I remember talking to people who were locals and there's, you know what it's like, it's a country town. So there's always, you know, whispers and, and suggestions of what could have happened. And I remember uh-huh. someone saying, you know, maybe one of the bouncers had been involved and someone said a, they thought maybe a taxi driver had done it. So when this came up, I thought, oh, my God, are we going to find that this guy had taken Melanie Hall as well? Yeah. The other thing about Melanie was that her remains actually were found in October 2009. So that's the same year I came home. And because this was a thing that always stuck in my mind, I remember reaching out to my friend who was working at, who was a policeman at Avon and Somerset Police and saying, I can't believe they found Melanie Hall's remains. And they'd actually found her. Her remains were in plastic bags. I I I don't know if she was dismembered, but she was left on the side of the M5, oh, um, on the way up to Thornbury, I think is the name of the town. And I used to always think as you drive past, as you drive along these motorways, you've got miles and miles and miles of sort of country land and these ditches on the side. And apparently Halliwell himself said to someone when he was in prison, oh, you never know what's out there. There could be all sorts of things on those roads. So, again, this is one of the things that I'm not the only person who thinks there may be a connection between him and Melanie Hall. And that statement is one of the things that makes people think, did he have more to it? But when you consider his MO for the two crimes that we do know he committed, in both cases, he took young girls who were out in, you know, off the street, basically, late at night, on their own, vulnerable. He took them very quickly to somewhere else, generally outside of the county that he was in. Remember I said how we'd gone to Wiltshire, Oxfordshire and Gloucestershire? Yeah. That was because they've got different police forces. So a bit like America, you've got the Avon and Somerset police who are in Avon and Somerset. So that's the jurisdiction where my house is. But where I'm ta- this whole place I'm talking about is kind of on the cusp of three different jurisdictions. You've got the Wiltshire police, you've got um, you've probably got Dorset police somewhere as well. You've got Avon and Somerset and you've got Gloucestershire. So it's not hard for someone like that to 
put the remains somewhere else in a different county for a different police group to be working on. Now, what's interesting in this is Stephen Fulcher, who's obviously retired from the police, he has mentioned that he thinks that there's probably a high likelihood that this guy's killed upwards of 30 people. Like, remember the stash oh! of 60? Remember That's the what... 60 items? Yeah. If, yeah. There's, if there's two bodies and 60 items and two of them match the two bodies, it sort mm-hmm. of sounds to me like there's 58 other bodies. Mm. Yeah. And he's well, got a trophy for each of them. Why can't they test them for DNA? And Oh, you see, what he, he was very smart. He dumped them in a pond. And part of the issue with them taking so long to retrieve them and do anything with them is a lot of the forensic evidence is degraded because they've they've been dumped underwater. But, again, it goes back to the question of why were you not on this? Mm. Why could you not see you have a serial killer here? Exactly right. He'd done time for burglary when he was younger and one of his cellmates uh, went to the police and gave the statement that he had told the cell, cell, cellmate, it might have even been that guy who had said, oh, you don't know what's, you know, anything could be there. He'd asked the guy how many people you had to kill before you were called a serial killer. And this was before Becky's disappearance and Sean's, right? So this is late 80s, early 90s maybe, uh, when he did this time as, for burglary. He also had a massive thing for Myra Hindley, who is a um, famous serial killer in the UK. Uh, uh, one day we might cover that one. It's disturbing. It involves children. He, he liked to think of himself as he admired. I think if you admire a murderer, that's a bad sign. Like, you know, we talk about it's them, but not, we don't admire them. It's not a healthy them. thing. No, it? we don't admire them. We, we we don't love them. You know, I don't have a favourite murderer because I think they're all just terrible. But I think when you sit around going, oh, I love their work, I'm really proud of their work, that's not that's a red flag, right? Mm. And Stephen Fulcher has also publicly said that they've never, the Avon and Somerset Police have never questioned Halliwell in connection to Melanie's disappearance. And I'm harping on about Melanie because she's the one that I used to look at the photo of, mm. you know, like, and this feels so connected to the the time I spent there and the people that I'm friends with and all the rest of it and I can't I don't understand why they haven't I mean unless they have tons of evidence but I know with the the Melanie case the only evidence they have they have a little bit of DNA evidence that was that came off the nylon rope that she was tied into these bags with her because her, her remains were terribly decomposed by the time they found her so they have nothing much to go on in terms of uh, any evidence around Melanie's case but. It, the other thing that happened with Halliwell, you know, I said he's got three kids. Yeah. Well, he told someone, friends or someone, that after the birth of his third child, uh, his son, his wife went off sex. Now, these crimes were sexually motivated. And Melanie Hall, guess what, disappeared in June 1996. I tried very hard to find out when his son was born, but for good reason they've kept themselves out of press and that's understandable. But, oh, sorry, I know he was born in 96, the son. I don't know what month, right? right. But I do know that happened. And in t- 2005 they actually divorced. He was in Swindon. He was in these areas. So he was absolutely around. He could well have been an active predator at this point in time. I am speculating 100%. I'm alleging this, but I just don't understand why it's not investigated. That's where I'm at with it. Were the, the 60 items, were they recognisable? Again, there's not a lot of publicly available evidence about those items. We know that a boot was Sean's. We know that a cardigan was Becky's. I, there's no, like, table. You know, sometimes in crime scene photos you, you've got a table of stuff. Yeah. I'm amazed that there couldn't be something of Melanie's there. 
you know, like because what what's odd to me is they showed the public. If, that yeah, if four hundred people phoned in thinking that Becky might have been there, the lost. By the way, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. But so yep. if you could get them images of all of this to say, hey, does any of this look familiar, yep. you know, maybe yep. that's a starting point to link him to a whole lot of other murders. I, I, get, I agree. And that the, the maddening thing here is, and this is why I keep talking about, were they just distracted by this pace due process thing and they had to ring someone out for it? But Steve Fulcher, even at the time, was convinced that they had a serial killer on their hands and was convinced that there's more investigation should happen around those items and around it. It's like they've just gone, nah, nah, look, he's got a life sentence already. But yeah. going back to the 58 people, if they are, if there's a single item for each of possible victims, 58 families haven't had any peace. They, they, they haven't been able to put their loved ones to rest. They don't know what happened to them. Mm. Yeah, so it's shocking. It's really shocking. And Steve, the, the numbers around how many he may have killed seem to vary between eleven and I think twenty-seven or something. And this is go. This yes. goes wider than just the Wiltshire, Gloucestershire, and Oxfordshire areas. He's, he, there are other women who've been um, who've gone missing who kind of match where the circumstances have matched the MO, but they've gone missing. I don't mm. believe they found the bodies of most of them. Why did them. they say? 11 to 27, did you find anything yeah, so on that? Because that sounds odd too. Stephen Fulcher actually has a book that he brought out and it's, um, this is bad, I should know, it's called something like uh, How I Caught a Serial Killer or something like that. And he talks about the 11 uh, people in the right time period around where Halliwell was who went missing in similar circumstances. In yeah. case, in fact, one of them, her husband is currently serving a, sen- a sentence for her murder. He has always said that he's innocent. But Stephen oh. Fulcher thought that that was a question. Now, just let's get, don't get overexcited, right? Because I got overexcited with this whole thing and I went down the rabbit hole as I do. And on that one, oh. I'm not going to, I can't remember the name of her. She was a Swindon like, native. Her husband said, I'm, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. And think there's a, a, a documentary type, you know, investigative documentary makers started to yeah. look into his case and they decided that they wouldn't pursue it because they felt that the evidence that had been brought against him was adequate. Right. So they okay. think that he probably did do it. He, did it. he yeah. still says, I didn't. He says, so the, uh, the evidence in that one all hinges around some blood of that victim that was found in the parcel shelf in the boot of his vehicle, a very tiny amount of blood of his wife. And She'd withdrawn all of this money out of the bank account. I think they were divorcing or they were having a fight or something. And so the police have said, you know, you, you tracked her down and killed her. He says, no, I didn't. Again, nobody ever found those. So I think that's part of the problem with these. They're missing people, but they, it's almost like we can't investigate because there's no body. But you've, yeah. got, you've got the possibility of a source here. You've got a possibility mm. of a man who... Could well uh, think about the timeline, right? Nine years between the two murders. To me, it doesn't seem feasible that some other activity yeah, yeah. hadn't happened. The other thing in the dramatization that was uh, really material was a person, and again, because it's a dramatization, I'm very careful about seeing this as fact. Uh, but they, when the mother Karen was getting this petition, another bloke came up and said, "My sister got in, or my someone sister or a female relative got in the car with in a taxi with him, and he tried to attack her, and she got out um, and, and got away." And the mother said, "Oh, she was really lucky." Again, it, it sounds like he's 
been he's been predating on women in this area for a lot longer and a lot more than the two cases that we are clearly aware of. The okay, so here's some other interesting things that may support my theory and others' theories that he's killed more than two people. So when asked the date that he had killed Becky, he couldn't remember. He said somewhere between two. He said 2003, four or five. He could be confusing it with other kills that he's yeah, had. Yeah, yeah. Right? You think he'd be pretty specific on that if you. I'd remember. If Correct. it was only two people, I would remember when I killed yeah, someone. Yeah, yeah. You'd remember how to do it, how you did it, how you cleaned it up. You took them straight to the burial place. How could you not remember what year you did it in? Exactly what, right. What flavoured soap you made out of them. You'd remember especially all if, of that. Exactly, oh. especially if you got off on it, right? <laughs> yeah. And if that was your first kill, yeah, if that's correct. the first time you killed someone, even when we've talked about, uh, I think yours, Carlo, pro- prolific serial killers like John Wayne Gacy, mm. he remembered mm. that as being like they often get, they vomit or they have a massive orgasm. I think Gacy said first, he had uh, yeah, it their first orgasm. reaction. Yeah. Their first reaction to going over the edge, you know, moving from mm. fantasy to reality. You can't tell me mm. you wouldn't have remembered the date. Okay, so, but You'd he also remembered remember exactly the where year. she was. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. exactly. Here's the the thing I was telling you before where he said, I know you're not a psychiatrist, but what the fuck's wrong with me? Normal people don't go around killing each other. He said only these two. Fulcher said only these two. He said, isn't Mm. that enough? Not yes, right? So he left that open. He's a very manipulative guy too, you know, typical kind of psychopath. He hasn't denied killing more than two people either. Um, Like he's never said, no, no, it's just the two. He indicated that this is, I'm sorry, this is graphic. He indicated that he killed Miss O'Callaghan, so Sean, with a single knife blow to the back of the head, then levering upwards to split the skull. And that is an extremely brutal act, right? It's quick. It's non-emotional. If that's the first time and last time you've done it, like why would you think to do that? You know what I mean? Mm. Like it feels like that could well have been a practised art. We used to do that in um, science classes. I was a bit worried where you were going to go with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So that's that's (laughs) – We used to call it, I think, pithing, where you put something into the brain of the animal. Oh, my God. Quite quite gross, and it it kills instantly. I think it's a way you kill lobsters. I've seen chefs do it, where they put the knife down and... Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh. And have they done it? When he, when has he done Were that? You just, were you just orgasming yeah. him then, Carla? Are you turning no, into John was, Wayne Gacy? Was, oh, <laughs> I was actually stretching. I was actually stretching my Oh, oh. <laughs> this, this is getting me <laughs> off. So, oh. Sorry. Did he do it? Do they do it to the back of the head? Yeah. And, and, like, okay. At yeah. the base so of the skull. Base of the skull and up. Oh, dear God. And he stabbed her in the neck as well, I believe. I think there were a couple of knife blows and strangled oh, her. God, there was evidence of strangulation as well. And in the case of Becky, he strangled her. Because that's the thing. Like, If you're um, a cab driver and someone gets into your cab and it's a situation whereby, you know, it, it takes you somewhere and you strangle the person to kill them. That is a different setup than having a knife that's sufficient to kill somebody mm. when they get into your car. Do you know what I mean? You're ready to you're ready to act. Oh, yeah. And if you, you know you're doing something where knowing that that's going to be so effective and doing, you know, this traumatic thing where you're Absolutely. stabbing in the base. Of this, He's never said, that's oh, different. she gave me. I, he might have. I don't yeah, think you know you're yeah. not fighting with somebody, and they oh exactly. I, I thought we were kissing, and then I thought she was giving me mixing. Oh, and then I I I got annoyed, and so I accidentally strangled her. Mm. That's a totally different route into it's quite surgical murdering isn't it? someone. It's yeah. it's a good it's a good yeah. point you make. Having the knife, yes, he had the knife. He said he carried the knife for protection, but <laughs> uh, it's what? interesting that you say that because they're pretty confident that she was killed 
almost the minute or very quickly from the moment she got in the car. Now, I don't, I can't recall whether or not there was any suggestion that they had a fight or anything like that. To your point, I think he was, he was, it was, he wanted to kill her. He was ready to roll. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. He stated to um, Fulcher that he'd spent the night digging a five-foot grave for Miss Godden Edwards, but in fact her grave was only eight inches deep, and that suggests to Fulcher that he's confused her with another grave that he's dug. Mm. Yeah. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. He, and the reason, one of the reasons that he knew exactly where she was is he returned to that grave periodically to make sure it hadn't been disturbed. Do you think that he um, decapitated her and took off her limbs of that so that she wouldn't be able to be recognised, or yeah. was that...? Possibly, yeah, possibly. Um, he didn't state that the body had been decapitated when he took them there. So, again, they theorised that it, um, he's confused it with another grave site. Mm. So I don't think he didn't decapitate everyone. Uh, Shan's mm. body was whole. He, he, he might not have had time, but he had buried her and then he dug her up and moved her. So I don't know. But maybe he didn't count on the DNA being on file and thought if I'm going to take him to someone, I'll take them to someone that I won't be able to um, identify and therefore I can't get charged for it. Oh, yeah, good point, actually. Yeah, Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Sounds like a Jesus, he'd be more frightening if that is what he thought. You know what I mean? Like that is so calculated. I didn't think that. Wow. Well, I didn't think that. And you're always calling me. You're always calling me a psychopath. So you know, well done. So one of the other things that has been pointed out is that he was a former ground worker, which means he could dig a grave pretty quickly. <sighs> a carefully concealed burial site would be the perfect disposal place for a body, which would remove all the evidence it contained. Halliwell made a chilling comment to a colleague a few days before his arrest. Who knows what or who you'll find buried out there? There could be loads of people over the years. That was that statement I was talking about before. I misquoted him, but, you know, that's what he's saying. He also tried to stroke, strike a deal with the police that if he cleared up Godden's murder, they wouldn't interview him about anything else ever again. And maybe this is why they haven't gone back to him about Melanie Hall, because they had this deal. But, you know. Oh, great for all the other families. Mm. Exactly. I don't know if you've ever seen the film The Tall Guy. It's got Emma Thompson in it and Jeff Goldblum. It's very early career for Emma Thompson. It's one of her first films. And yeah. he, he plays an American in London. So you'd, you'd, you'd enjoy it. It takes a piss out of musicals. It's a funny film. But she's a nurse. And at the end, one of the end scenes, he runs into the hospital to say, I'm really sorry, uh, you know, I love you, blah, 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 big romantic moment. And she's in triaging, you know, emergency and there's a man on the on a trolley next to her and it's like nurse nurse can I have some painkillers and she turns to him and this is the relevant bit she turns to him and says something along the lines of I won't direct quote it but she says no when you decided to put a vacuum cleaner pipe up your bottom you negated you know my responsibility to treat you well or something like that and this is what I feel like you know when you decided to murder two young women yeah, yeah. you negated all your rights to not be asked about other murders a criminal psychologist concluded that Halliwell obtained sexual gratification from killing women now there was no evidence of actual like sexual penetration with Shan's body but her stockings that had been pulled down and her pants had been cut open so it looked whether he'd been interrupted or whatever he was doing it it was pretty evident that it was sexually uh, motivated and sex being the basic urge of man apparently it is unlikely he was able to satisfy this overwhelming urge by only committing two murders over eight years and that goes back to like that's it if this is if this is a sexual turn on for you once every eight years is a pretty long dry spell yeah exactly Mm. 
Several Swindon sex workers stated he was a regular user of their services and that he became aggressive on multiple occasions and was obsessive about some of them. A pair of knickers were recovered from his garage, which didn't belong to anyone on the premises, and this took on added significance later in the investigation. Again, whose are they? We don't know. And then you've got the cache of property, which was in an eight-foot deep pond in Woodland in Ramsey, Wiltshire. It included, here we go, this is the cache, a shotgun, 60 items of women's clothing, including a pair of boots that belonged to Sean and a cardigan that belonged to Come Becky. on. It's suspected it was a trophy store. Suspected. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Duh. And he went, he used to go back there quite a lot. And so that's not an unusual behavior, as I understand it, from some serial killers that they return to either the scene of the crime. They often show up when the police are investigating. They sometimes mm. like to help the police with their investigations. Yeah. His returning to the grave site of Becky is also about, you know, reliving the moment and that sexual gratification. But unfortunately, since, since this, like this was 2011, we're now. Uh, 11 years later, he certainly... How was that found, do you know, Shree? Did he... No, I don't know. It's a great question. Where was it? In a pond, did you say? It was in a... They had to dive for it. It was in this eight-foot deep pond. I think Mm. someone may have rung the police and said... A grounds person had seen him there. So I think someone tipped them off and said, I've seen him there, and then they they found... They looked and they found it. I think that's how it was found. But I'm not... I'm probably now I say it 80% sure that's what happened, but not 100 Okay. Anyway, for now, he hasn't had another twinge of uh, conscience, unfortunately. You know, maybe he hasn't killed anyone else, but I find that hard to believe. Uh, so that is my story of the very sad story of the um, deaths of Sean O'Callaghan and Becky Godden Edwards. They had their whole lives ahead of them until, to use his own words, some sick fucker murdered them. So... Whilst he's in prison, I just really feel sorry for the families and friends who lost their loved ones and, you know, they had to go through all this crap about judicial manoeuvring. I just, it's, and I feel sorry for Stephen Fulcher. You know, by all accounts, he's the polar opposite of a defective detective. He's a very good detective. And I do think that Wiltshire Police did him a great disservice. And to that end, on the 2nd of September, two weeks ago from when we're doing this, in 2022, so very recently, the Wiltshire Police have formally apologised to Becky Godden Edwards' family for their failing to adequately investigate her murder. Surprise, surprise. According to a report by the Independent Office for Police Conduct, IOPC, flaws in the way the investigation was handled between 2011 and 2014 meant that Halliwell was not prosecuted for the murder of Miss Godden until 2016 after a campaign by her mother, Karen Edwards, finally ended in the killer being handed a whole life sentence. That's right. A citizen had to do the job. IOPC Regional Director Katrin Evans said, Our investigation found serious failings in the way the force handled the murder investigation after the initial charges relating to Becky's murder were dropped in February 2012. In our view, the issues that arose stemmed from a combination of systemic weaknesses within the force at the time as well as individual shortcomings. Our investigation indicated that no one in Wiltshire Police took responsibility for ensuring that the murder inquiry progressed effectively. No shit, Sherlock. She added, the force at the time allowed a fog of confusion to develop regarding who was in command. This led to the murder investigation stalling, a lack of appropriate reviews and obvious lines of inquiry that were potentially capable of securing Halliwell's conviction being overlooked. So there you have it. But did Fulcher get an apology? Nothing. No. 
No. I didn't get that. I thought you about. I thought you were going to say that when you went on to talk about um, Becky's parents. I no, they apologised to Becky Godden's parents. Yeah. But they had no, 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 everything, nothing to see here. We did the right thing. And what I think is the most interesting thing is that if the second judge hadn't overturned the making the confessions inadmissible, I think it's fair enough to continue that line to say, no, like it was a judge found it inadmissible, you did the wrong thing. But the fact that it then became admissible evidence would argue that he didn't do anything wrong. So what do you think, guys? Good story. Yeah, it is. It is. Really interesting. I'm, I'm shocked at the – so did you say it was the judge's first case? First criminal in the case. So I believe yeah. that um, she obviously, you know, she, she might have been seeing, I don't know, divorces or something else, civil yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. It was, a, it was in passing. I haven't read it. It was in the show. That but, to me is yeah. just so significant. You're, you're dealing mm-hmm. with something that shouldn't be so subjective. You know, that almost should be black and white as to whether or not that stuff can be allowed or not. Yeah. That whole thing about the how restrictive it is and cautioning comes from some other thing that happened. It came into legislation after the police had done something really bad and I can't remember the complete circumstances but it's a bit like an IRA bombing. Or, I, in my head, I, they basically coerced or did something to push some people to, to say that they'd committed a crime and that had been found to be a massive failing. And so the legislation had changed to tighten it up so that police couldn't. They had to do it under caution. They had to do all this stuff. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand that. It's just that, a really Anna, interesting double-edged sword though, isn't it? Well, no, no, I think it's it's important to have laws like that. But I guess mm. what I'm saying is that, you know, if you are investigating and someone starts saying to you, oh, do you want to find another one? You're not going to say, no, <laughs> no. I don't. Yeah. Let's go back. You know, like, sure, hold that thought. Imagine being, you know, you often hear about courts not supporting police and Mm. sometimes for good reason, but, God, this bloke, what what was he supposed to do? Just say, no, no, actually I don't. Imagine if that came out back in the police station and this bloke's not going to tell him now. That's right. And, And so first criminal case judge is the one making that significant ruling that there almost needs to be a little bit of let me just go and ask someone who's a bit more experienced than me like in a in a normal workplace if you get asked a question and you're yeah. not really yeah, sure and you go I'll just go and find out mm-hmm. I, I just feel like that decision for the first you know she's 100%. pretty bold in being comfortable ruling that out knowing the impact of doing so it's it's really interesting I know why it exists and we know why it exists like that to protect um, innocent people, right? Exactly. So if you're being coerced or, you know, it's not being handled correctly. Correct. But what's interesting about this is where it turned from him being questioned to this idea of going, I'm going to tell you more. Let me and, show and, you. Yeah. And really, and that's exactly what he then did. It, did, it didn't then switch back to him tricking them. Yeah, Do you know yeah. what I mean? He, he didn't go, oh, I'm going to show you then, but now I'm not. It was like, I'm going to show, and I did. <laughs> yeah, and 100% though, once he got back to the actual um, police station and had a lawyer, yeah. he clammed up. He's never given them any evidence. Of course he was going to do that. Yeah. But, no, no, I know, but, but that's the point. If they, You're right. Yeah. If they had gone back, he would have clammed up. The, Correct. The investigator called it correctly. He said he'll he'll go no comment. 100%. We will never find yes. out. But it, it's yeah. So I think there's a real systemic problem with the legal system where you know a work experienced criminal judge gets to make those decisions, 
Like that's what it feels like. Um, can I just phone a friend? Like <laughs> I'd like to seek some other counsel on this. Like I don't know. There must be a way where you don't have to be the you know the one. I'm who sure knows they can, everything. can't they? I don't know the answer. Oh, I just always so. assume you would. Of course they can. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course they can ask a colleague to say. Yeah. What do you or think about this? Yeah, yeah. But I, and I don't know. Maybe she, she did, and counsel. she just picked oh, the wrong right. colleague. Yeah, we don't know whether or not she she checked in with anyone, but that was her call. Then another judge, because this does happen, said, oh, that's nonsense, you know. Correct. If, if, the, if the police were saying you did these other 58, didn't you, didn't you, didn't you, and then he confessed to them but didn't give any evidence to suggest, you'd go, yeah, all right, yeah, we're not going to take that on board. But he's taken them to where the body's buried, for God's sakes, like. I mean, it's, it's yes, you're right. And if he took him to somewhere that he said there's a body and they, and they dug the whole, you know, acre field up and there was nothing there, he's a time-wasting asshole. It's correct. Exactly yeah. right. But so, Schmitty, where are things at now? Like, is it, you know, obviously we're talking about the fact that you, you particularly feel like there could be links to many other um, missing girls, well, persons, whatever. Um, where are they at? Is, that gener- is it in the general public that there's, that there's talk of him potentially having done more? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm not the only person and I'm not a journalist by any stretch of imagination, but there are plenty of journos who've said the same thing, Stephen Fulcher, really, yeah. the ex-detective himself, even the guy who took, I think the guy who took over the case. So there was this sort of gap from 2011 to 2014 or something, yeah, yeah. where there, eventually someone else took it over and he thinks the same. He thinks, no, there's more to it. The issue seems to be that Wiltshire Police are very underfunded and I read something that they've put £40,000 against, you know, continuing an investigation into other possible crimes of Halliwell. £40,000 would pay for nothing? Like it's not enough. But what's interesting about that is, you know, this goes to your point before we were talking about Gloucestershire, what was the other Mm -hmm. one? So Avon and Somerset, and I don't understand why Avon and Somerset. Why are they on it? Yeah. Well, unless it's to do with this deal that he cut initially saying, I'll tell you about these two, but I'll never talk about anything else, so don't even ask me. Unless it's to do with that and there is some kind of thing that makes them have to what, a bro code? Oh, no, <laughs> yeah, know. yeah, exactly. Yeah. It feels a bit weird, doesn't it? All but right. It's, okay, it's physical. Okay, well, well, yeah, well cool. I wish you hadn't done that, but now we're stuck, yeah. yeah. Oh, now we're, yeah, now I'm bound. Honour amongst criminals and police. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't get it, yeah. Oh, gosh. Even without his input, though, it sounds like they could make some, you know, some pretty good investigation into it's yes. difficult like like they know the circumstances of or when people went missing because they've been reported and they maybe have some items of clothing i mean they should just do a freaking roaming exhibition of all the items of clothing mm. so people can go and see or at least go back to the families of the like people they're... who are missing and that's say, what does i mean does like... any of this look like it belonged to your, your, yes. your loved one just get someone know. to drive around in a van with all of that clothing and say hey look familiar i absolutely don't oh. know whether they've done anything or they've just because avon and somerset seem to have said halliwell's not our man some statements there were a couple of witness statements at the time that melanie hall went missing that said that she'd been in, involved in an altercation or a fight with a guy there's a description of him doesn't look anything like halliwell and so they're, they're really interested in that person but they seem to have gone oh it's all about this situation we're talking about a case that was in 1996. It just seems opportunistic, doesn't it, to years go, ago. we've got a victim and we've got a serial killer. Let's just 
do a little bit more investigation there. He's in prison. Where's he going to go? Like, you know, yeah, or he might not tell you anything. But even if you, like I did, I just looked up online where he was at the time. And That's thought, what, well, he was. He yeah. certainly was around. He certainly may have had access. He may, I'm not saying he did, but he may well have come in and picked her up. May well, because otherwise the other thing that upsets me is this idea that there are multiple serial killers hanging around Avon, Somerset and Wiltshire. Mm, at that you know, time. Like, at that time. So for me it's like you've got a predator. We know this man's a predator. How many other people are predating on young women? I'm hoping none. You know, I'm hoping Where? that's the Did- one. Yeah. Did they host the serial killer Olympics or something around that time? And <laughs> I was so, going to say when you were like, starting to say this one made me see. I thought, Jesus, is a lot going on out in the West Country? I'm like, yeah, I'm yeah. Real, <laughs> you know, I've always called real it, comfortable with that. I've always wild called it the Wild West for a reason. That's right. I yes. call Perth the Wild West, but for a totally different reason. Thankfully, <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. So what about sentencing? I think the um, the apology is empty if they're not going to do any further investigation. I agree. So um, if there's if they've done it, if they had have said we're sorry that we didn't investigate this properly and we are now going to go back and review a I number of it cases is open, yeah. in a similar way. It needs the, the, proper the two, funding. The two thing, but, but the two things need to happen together, right? What's the point Correct. of the apology if you're not going to do anything about it? Well, so, I think they're apologising to Becky's family to say, look, we didn't investigate it properly. And, and the thing is in the Yeah, yeah, but we haven't learned from it and we're not going to, you know, investigate any other ones properly. We're just going to say, oh, yeah, sorry about that. In the dramatisation, um, the Imelda Staunton plays um, Karen Edwards. She does an incredible, I've got to say, watch it. A confession, I think it's available on BritBox. Really, really good, right? Watch it. Um, and top-notch actors. Martin Freeman plays Stephen um, Fulcher, which makes you even oh, right. like that. Wow. No, The mm. Hobbit. Makes you even more sympathetic to him. She says after Becky's actual, after the trial, she says all they knew all that in 2011. There was no new evidence. What the mm. hell? If she yeah. hadn't, and it, this goes like lovely, if she hadn't just kept going yeah. and going and going, they would have just let it go. Mm. And I, it's almost even to your point about the apology, it's even like they go, well, what do you want? We're apologising we didn't get him in 2011, but we got him in 2016, so sorry about that, but we're done because we got him. Yeah. But you didn't get him for everything else that he may well have done, and that's done. what yeah. I worry about, yeah. that's. I think that's the important part that you would like to see come with the apologies and Correct. we're going to go back and see whether these yeah. other 58 items of clothing are somehow related. related to people who've gone women who've gone missing over the same time period that he would have had access to because there are lots yeah i mean and surely wiltshire police have to be not necessarily answerable that's not the right word i'm after but you know involved in something that's bigger than them so that if it's that important and there are that many people missing yeah, well, sure, if they've got no dime, you know, sure they can do a GoFundMe page or go and ask for some more money from somewhere else. I mean, it's not like you just go, oh, sorry, we can't proceed. That's a really interesting point. So when this was all going down, Theresa May was actually the minister for the police. I don't know what yeah. her, the real title was. From what I understand, she hated the police. I think the police have been, the funding for police has been, re- policing reduced in the UK reduced, has been reduced and reduced and reduced. And... You know, so I've got several friends. I actually have a friend of mine who is a policeman in the Wiltshire Police Force. Um, and I haven't spoken to him about any of this. My other friend is retired. He was Avon and Somerset. So I know a few yeah. coppers are from the area. 
Um, but I'm, I am pretty confident that they are underfunded. Like the Froome police station got closed down. The closest police station, as, as far as I'm aware, to where I lived was a 20-minute drive away to, you know, like Trowbridge. That would probably yeah. be the closest one. They've been decrementing the expenditure on all of these, um, you know, public services for a long time. So I kind of feel for them. But to your point, Paul, you've got to raise – You've got to raise the the um, profile of this as a significant issue to get the funding to come mm. back. Yeah, yeah. Particularly because we're talking murders, right? We're not talking that they're not getting a chance to investigate snow dropping or you know, like really minor who gives Which a we shit know, crimes. Yeah, but we know can snow be a dropping can lead to <laughs> exactly <drugs>. right. <laughs> but there's actually people who are missing who I think you could reasonably assume have been murdered. Yep. And we're going, we're not going to fund investigations into that. It's a bad Theresa May, you naughty woman. Well, she wasn't you, a very good prime minister either. So. Yeah, yeah, well, there is that. But I, so I think, you know, I could understand them saying we, we can't justify having a police station in every place possibly. Right. I, I don't know how that works. But you should be able to move resources around to investigate serial killers you know, it, it shouldn't even be up to the Wiltshire Police Station to have to yeah. do the investigating here. There should be, you know, mobile teams. And I know we've listened to other podcasts where in Australia they talk about point. that. That's what they do. It's not, you're right. It's not about the local police station or the Why? local police force. Why would it be? It, there should be a national, you a response. That's what I was sort of suggesting before. Yeah. It's like, I don't understand what, if it, if it comes down to, oh, look, sorry, Wiltshire Police can't afford to, you know, proceed. It's like, Okay, so who's going to pick up the stack? Who's overseeing all this? Scotland Yard. Yeah, I don't. I, and I don't know the relationships of Scotland. I don't know what. You know what I mean? I don't know if Scotland Yard has any, and the Met has any. Um, you know, uh, uh, I don't know how the jurisdiction. Yeah, exactly. I just think that if you've got a person sitting in your prison, that you could be putting a pin in every now and then to find out if he knows more about other people's disappearances. You should be simple as that. Interesting. In the back so, of his head. And then reef it upwards, yeah. yeah I feel yeah. like we just got onto sentencing, but <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so yeah, I, he's, look, an, he's an he's ass. awful. He's an I animal. Can't, yeah. yeah, I can't stand that shit. Um <laughs> no, seriously, like mm. Oh, uh, I don't love him. I think he's just deplorable. He there's nothing in this story him. really that's surprising. It's just another man who looks at, you know, young women, particularly if it's sex workers and so like that, as someone who's easy prey and off they go, take them. It's awful. It wasn't them. just sex workers. It was anyone. I know, and I know she wasn't the other. I know, but I'm saying, but, you know, with the one who was Becky, you know, things like that. And, and we don't have clarity on potentially the others that he may or may not have murdered. But, you know, none of it's... You know, there, I think there are a couple of sex workers in the list of possible um, I bet there uh, is. victims. But there was like a chef, there's mothers, like they, like it's just women. I think it's just women taken in vulnerable, like women suddenly in vulnerable situations taken easily is really yeah. the same. Yeah. yeah. It just, it sounds like he gets a real joy out of killing people too. Like not picking Sean up and her being almost dead straight away isn't that what you said yeah yeah like you know i just want to pick her up and kill her that's yeah he's really back straight away one of the other things i didn't mention because i I was really conscious of time he actually turned so all of these taxi companies have scanners 
to know where your cab driver is. He turned it yeah. off and he, and he should have gone home <sighs> and he hung around for, I don't know, an hour or something later. So to what you were just saying, absolutely, Lady. yeah, looking for a victim, looking for someone, yeah. as I said, to predate upon. Yeah, yeah, he, you're right. He, he wanted to kill someone and that's mm. how he got his sexual jollies. And he was out to do it. I mean, just have a wank, for God's sake. Oh, no, I'll just fucking kill yourself. I thought you said then, God. he just had a wank, for God's sake. And I went to say, how did, and I went to say, how did you? And then I went, oh, she just said, oh, have it. And, and I was like, no, oh, what did they know that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it won't make you blind and it might stop you murdering people. Oh, <laughs> far out. So um, yeah. I'm going to ask again. What are we going to do? Well, sentence. Well, I feel really sorry for Stephen Fulcher. Right? I, I do. I think yeah. um, he acted morally correctly. Maybe not by the book, but morally correctly. So I'm going to put him in a kind of place. Did you, I don't know if either of you are just making this up as I go along, but did either of you see the shows Life on Mars or Ashes to Ashes? Where no. a young policeman gets knocked unconscious or shot or something, and he ends up in this, goes back to the seventies, and he's got the jeans. It's English, and, isn't it? It's beautiful. It's, yeah, yeah. It's English. Oh no, I watched it, and it's, but I do, and it's I've heard of it. Yeah, kind of propelled into this. He's a policeman, but he's propelled into this cop shop, Clint Eastwood esque seventies <laughs> police force where you know we can rough up the people. We can anything, up, knock, yeah. anything goes. That's right. And I feel like Stephen Fulcher, even though he is. A man who has followed all of the right, in, in like, and that's why I went to pains to say he thought that his interpretation of the act was right. He thought he was covered. He did not know it, like, willingly and knowingly go, I'm going to break the rules here. No. He's a rule yeah. follower. But I'm going to put him in a scenario where anything goes so that he can get the info he needs out of the perps and he can be the gene genie and he can be a bit rough and ready and he can just get the nasty guys and bang them up like he needs to, you know, because I think that is like, you know. I feel like he wouldn't do that anyway because he's I know, but I think I want to give him the option. I want to give him the opportunity to get him banged to rights and not be in a situation where he loses his career over something. I don't think he did anything wrong, frankly. I just don't. And then – Going back to my naked and afraid thing, because I started talking about that earlier. Yeah. I think that the senior policing people who were quite happy to throw him under the bus, who I think is the man who has recently had to apologise to the Godden family. So that man, I can't remember his name and probably shouldn't mention it anyway, um, given, you know, I'm about to send him to naked and afraid <coughs> trial by wine world, where as a... Senior officer, I think he should have backed his own staff a bit more than that. And so I'm going to drop him into somewhere like, say, let's say Mozambique with a fire starter, not a pot, not a machete, not a mosquito net, naked, and he's just got to wander around and find his (coughs) own food and find his way out of that. So that's my punishment for people who throw their staff. A 28-year exemplary, excellent Mm. Excellent staff member under the bus. That's where you end up for me. Yeah, I think that's a good call. Um, the I still am not comfortable with the judge because I think had she 
not had, had she allowed the evidence? Ella and I just laughed knowing you were coming back to her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. I, I All of this should have been avoided. Yes. Well, it would have been. Have and and quite avoided. possibly they would have then investigated the second body and probably a whole lot more. So I Correct. think whilst I, I just feel like that's the bit that everything changed. Yeah, you're right. The downstream implications of her one decision. Yeah. Correct. Because yeah. nothing would have ha- He would have been probably, you know, continuing his exemplary career, um, would have found more bodies, more. He might have got a rap on um, the knuckles, but nothing that would have. I don't think he would have. Because if the they had said, yeah, of course, you, you thought you did it under this oh. code. And I'm going to support yes, we, that. We agree. Yeah. Then, yeah. Um, so she's the one who I think is the problem. And I, I do want to use your naked and afraid <laughs> sentence, but also Yay, we're watching... watch it, it's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're watching this show at the moment called Six and there's a, a bit of a terrorist thing going on in there and, and the um, English investigator says to... Is she English? Maybe she's American, I can't really remember. Yeah. I don't really pay a lot of detail to those things. But she says to this bloke, you know what they do to terrorists in Egypt? They get they get them in a helicopter and they go out over the Red Sea or whatever it was that she said and they find um, a, f- a pack of sharks that are feeding. They drop <laughs> some blood into the water and then they push space. the terrorists in. So I think that's what I'm going to have to do to this judge. Um, so she can be naked just to fit your theme, but I think she just needs to go into the, uh, oh, the bloody water with wow. the feeding frenzy. Yeah, wow. okay. it's such a significant decision to make that helps a, a serial killer get off effectively and ruins the career of a very good policeman. Like, who do you think you are, lady? I know. Swanee. I think what I'll do Psychological is, um, nut punch? <laughs> yes, <the> psychological <laughs> nut What I was thinking is, so first of all, I'd like to, to try and elicit sort of a better out. Mm. I thought who I would like to see sort of have to pay some penance would be the, I don't know if it's actually the Wiltshire Police Force, but there must have been people instrumental where they were there or somewhere around that overseen that who were prepared to make fulture this public. I don't know if scapegoat's the right word because it's not like same, he's a scapegoat. Same guy I just sent to Naked and Afraid. Yeah, a little, yeah, him. Yeah. So I would like to see him. TM, TM. Publicly embarrassed actually because I think, you know, when, I, that's probably a better word for it than that, but. Again, everything that you've done that's come before, every your, your good name ruined. And in doing that, I'd like to see Fulcher put back in charge. I know he wouldn't be interested, but this is trial by wine world. I'd like yeah, to see him put back in place and for him to continue his good work and in, so that that may actually elicit a, a better outcome where we could explore whether or not Halliwell was responsible or even if it wasn't Halliwell, but to find some more of these people who have gone missing and, you know, have them, their parents' minds put never to rest or to ease but so that they do know where no, their children are. You could at least mm. bury your children. I mean, yeah. it was really sad. In the dramatisation you've got uh, this moment where the mum receives back having having them found Becky. Yeah. She's in a box. She's just bones in a box and it's so tragic. It's awful. And that's what she's got to bury. It's, yeah. We're talking about the possibility of up to 50, 58 other people, other families, and it's Wiltshire Police's responsibility, you're absolutely right, to work on that, to investigate, to do more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I totally think that is. Now, obviously the other person that I would like to um, sentence is Halliwell. Good on you. And I just... Can't think of anything bad enough for him, frankly. But well, it's a little I'm, bit like that. So what I would yeah. think of is because I, 
because I don't want to say anything bad enough, I want it to have longevity. So I was thinking that idea, and I mean, we've all been in a situation where we've been utterly terrified, right? Don't know what it, what it's different things to different people, but that 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 moment where the adrenaline kicks in, your emotions so heightened, and things are not going to go well, and it, and it is a split second thing. I would like to for him to feel that like <laughs> for in a way that he for eternity that he feels like he's being hunted or. I think you can't use the word predator. I've heard that afraid. Let's chuck him in there. Yeah, but you're just in few whether whether it be that someone is about to he's about to get into a car and someone's about to <laughs> knife him in the back yeah, of the head. Yeah. But that 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 oh. sheer terror that you know when it happens and it goes up and then your you, your body then reacts to it and you then come down and you're you're shaking. But that that sudden terror, I'd yeah. like him to really have to endure that feeling because that's what. You know, he's, he's quite comfortable with doing to others. Dishing yes. out to everyone yeah. else, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I would like to think that both, um, I mean, not not like to think, I'd like to think that this didn't happen, but um, I, I choose to think that both Sean and Becky died very quickly and, you know, didn't. And then what he did to them afterwards was not something he did to them because they were, Because they, yeah. they were gone. Was, that's I just, yeah, they were gone. Okay, so you're just going to put him somewhere. Where he's, I guess it would be in trial by wine world where it's just his house of I don't terror. Know, he's, he feels like he's yeah hunted, and that someone's he's going to be murdered. I don't know that doesn't necessarily happen, but it's his state of terror. Terror. Yeah. All right. So thank you for uh, coming with me on that journey. It was a bit dark, I know, but it's really interesting, and I, I enjoyed what I enjoyed about that story was we we we've done a few US stuff, and I'm not. So yeah, it's really a balance. That I do. I tend to. Do, I tend to do a lot of that. Humans get it wrong. It doesn't matter where you're from and what country you're from, and processes and some of these, you know, bureaucracies will get in the way of justice in the long run in all justice scenarios. So, you know, this is we 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 are not here to slate any particular country or or police. Mm. We'll do it all equally. <laughs> Wait, we do it <laughs> it's equally, balance. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, uh, my heart goes out to the families. Um, it's a shocker, yeah. And as I said, mm. I feel very personal about this because it feels it's your like stomping yeah. it's my yeah, totally. that's my hood. It's my yeah, it is, yeah. So um thanks for that guys. Uh thank you. And um We're back in business. We're back and miss you already. Can't wait for the next one. Absolutely. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Trial by Wine. You can contact us at trialbywine at gmail.com. Please rate, review and subscribe to Trial by Wine on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron at www.patreon.com, Trial by Wine. Or visit our website, www.trialbywine.com to donate to us. Your support will help us cover many more cases and apply wacky sentences. We really appreciate you listening and hope you tell everyone about us. Our cover art is by John Christo and music is by Beauchamp from pixabay.com. Mm-hmm.